Blimey, Governor, welcome to the Final Lap Podcast. Excellent, excellent Cockney accent. I was, the, I was channeling my inner Dick Van Dyke there. Hey, it's the British Grand Prix. Where's your Scottish accent? Well, hi, welcome. laddie. Welcome to the Scottish Grand Prix, which is not the Scottish Grand Prix. It's the British Grand Prix. <laughs> Just like Willie from uh, Goldskeeper Willie from That's, The Simpsons. Again, that that was what I was going for. Actually, it was I was channeling the. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen them. There's a uh, it was a Seth MacFarlane thing where he did uh, Angry Scotsman watches movies. I'm sure I've seen that. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure I have seen that. I do it's like a, my Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> it's a really <laughs> terrible Scottish accent in there, but I really like it because it's such a terrible Scottish accent. <laughs> so that's what we've I was... heard it all. We've heard it all. <laughs> well, it's probably better than some of the true accents. <laughs> Uh, you might have ba- vaguely understood it compared to some of the Scottish accents, which uh, I wasn't channeling my inner Glaswegian there. Certainly understood it more than the Chinese or the Bahrainian introductions <laughs> anyway. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, that, that great introduction must mean it's another episode of the Final Lap podcast. And because I've been channeling my inner Dick Van Dyke, um, which I'm never going to get tired of repeating, um, it must mean that it was the British Grand Prix last weekend. And we were treated to another classic British Grand Prix. Oh, yes. Um, it seemed straight from qualifying that we were destined to get something a little bit special. Didn't disappoint, did it? <laughs> Not at all. Um, so let's let's just get stuck in because there's so much to talk about, I and mean, we'll only cover probably a third of it in in this show, I suspect. Um, the weekend starts from qualifying, really, doesn't it? That's that's where it all decided it was going to be a little bit different we had uh, sporadic rain showers through all three qualifying sessions first two well first one we lost some very <laughs> very big players in... the two, the two the standouts from the week before in austria straight out in the uh, in q1 and the williams guys after such an excellent display Back down to earth with a bang at the home Grand Prix, wasn't it? Oh yes. <laughs> and de- dare we mention that the yes, uh, the two red cars at the back of the grid were in fact other, not Marussias. Yes, indeed. <laughs> they had Ferrari engines in them, but they were not Marussias. Uh, Fortunately, they also had Ferrari aerodynamics. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, a, a very strange Q1 in that um, it was a. A tale of people assuming that it was going to be slick and never going to be... Uh, oh, it was... Um, they did one one sort of set of laps on the slicks and it started to rain. Everybody came in and assumed that nothing was going to happen. A few people chanced their arm and decided that on a possible drying track, they'd chuck it out there and uh, give it a go and were justly rewarded as suddenly... The bigger teams decided that they'd jump out on track, only for it to start raining again at the end of the session. That's exactly what you want from a qualifying session, isn't it? Rain and no rain. That like you don't want it when it's just absolutely pouring down constantly, because then you just end end up with aqua plane in and red flags and a lot of nonsense. 
just that sort of in between is it raining is it not raining it creates absolute chaos and it's exactly what you want in qualifying always throws up a few shocks well it was it was really strange wasn't it because i don't understand how either of those two teams got caught out by that the experience in yeah. those garages how well, can they be yeah the fact that they got both their drivers as well it wasn't yes. one they didn't take a chance on one and not take a chance on another they put both both teams with both their cars that's four cars in the bottom what is it seven or six in the days? Uh, six from the first yeah. one i believe so right away four teams that should have been in the top six or eight out in the first four just through complete i don't know what would you call it other than bollocks stupidness yeah like just yeah, frank Dipshittery. Yes, dipshittery. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it was of the highest order. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> therein lies opportunities for other people. Well, it did. Um, it meant that uh, for, I think, the first time this season, both Saubers made it out of uh, Q3. That's a terrible stat that they've not had both their cars out of Q3 all season. That's really a bad indictment of where Sauber are. I think Lotus have done it at least once where they've had both cars out. Um but probably not as easily as they managed to get it out of <laughs> G3 this time. Um, and of course, Jules in the Marussia. Oh, storming lap. He was the, the third fast, third fastest yeah. in the in Q3, I think. Still um, proving once again what that he's just got pace, no matter what the conditions. No, absolutely. Um, so then it was Quali 2. Um, really the only person that really lost that massively... In essence, from that one was um, Adrian Sotil who binned his uh, Sauber. Uh, although that w didn't he bin his Sauber at the end of Q3? I can't remember now. Was he not going on about the break by wire on the radio? That might have been in the race, or it might have been in qualifying. I can't remember. But the, I think what Brundle mentioned on commentary is like basically that Sauber has just had shitty, shitty, shitty breaks all year, and that's why they can't get any sort of pace whatsoever in the car because they're so fucked on the brakes apparently something to do with the brakes he definitely had a little whinge on the uh, on the radio oh he did he says how can i uh how can i go racing with brakes like this yeah and the world turned around and went we don't know how you go racing with brakes adrian <laughs> um, or at least i did on twitter so well, there you go um so so ironically q2 was also um full of uh sort of kind of sparks because it was rewarded by people who again took the opportunity to go out when, when people other people thought they didn't need to um came out and did storming laps and it, it nearly upset a few people the the marussias were not all that far off of of making it into q or certainly Jules, Jules bianchi had initially looked like he was going to do it but then enough cars got out there with enough of a decent track to be able to how, how great would it have been if Jules had gotten in the in Q3, that would have been just to, on top of their Monaco points. That would have been brilliant. I would have loved to have seen that. Such a shame, but never mind. It's all over again. So ironically, we ended up with a, a Q2 dropout list that looks more like the Q3 dropout list in that it contained the Salbers, Marussias, um, and Lotuses. Um, <laughs> yeah, ahead of the head of the Williams and Ferraris. It still still boggles your mind afterwards. Um, and that eventually led us to Q3, uh, where it seemed that people had seemed to have learned from the mistakes and that they all went out very early. 
and seemed to get the best of the track. It started to rain again. And everybody seemed to be like, oh, okay, well, that'll be the end of it. And for the first time, and nobody really picked this up, and I wish they had, because um, the FIA gets a lot of shit thrown at it for making poor decisions. And to be honest with you, later on in this podcast, I'm going to complain about them again. But <laughs> the reason why we got such an amazing Q3 was because they introduced the rule about giving people a set of tyres in Q3 that they can only use in Q3. So there was a guy, a load of guys sat in the pits going, we've got another set of slick tyres that we can't use in the race anyway, so fuck it. We'll go out and we'll see what happens with the track. Yeah, that's and, a great point. I didn't even think of that at the time. It's a very good point. And the, well, they, they even said it on the radio. Like I can't remember. I think it was even it was Vettel actually. I think who said, "We've got another another set of tires, so we might as well go," because Ricardo, they they people had the sort of people who went out again first were the people who had had bad times in the wets. So um, Vettel hadn't had a good time in the wet. Jensen hadn't had a good time in the wet. I don't think Nico had had a particularly good one. Um, so they all went out and Jensen, I think it was Jensen first, suddenly did a really fast lap compared to everything else. The strange thing was, they were appalling in the first and second sectors. They were like two seconds down in the second, the first and second sector. And then they must have been like four seconds up in the final sector where it just got bone dry and somehow put it on pole. And that's what happened to Lewis, as I'm sure we'll come into. As he's seen his dash seem down two seconds after the first two sectors. So just gave up and so it was a very i've never seen anything like that before where it was so significantly different in one section of the lap compared to the other like you see it sometimes in tracks like spa where it's a big lap and you've got a little bit of difference here and there but the the, the gap in the time was phenomenal no i was watching them go around it was watching i think it was vettel um vettel and magnuson i think in the end who we started to watch and you could see that like vettel was 2.7 seconds down and magnuson was 3.1 and then suddenly they crossed the, you know, Hulkenberg crossed the line into P1. And then sort of Vettel came into pole and Magnussen was third or fourth. Um, uh, must have been third, actually, I think. And you were suddenly thinking, well, what Magnussen, the was, there? Magnussen yeah. was three seconds down the last time we looked at him and we were thinking that this this was all over. How was he more than two and a half seconds up? That you makes... were getting ready to like turn off the tail and qualifying's over no one's going to beat the time you know but, uh, you were getting ready to go home and like suddenly just went chaos um and it was mental so we had that the uh mercedes were out on track before the super times were came coming in um i i and i there was something going on here that i and i think it wasn't really picked up by by brundelettal I think Jensen was uh, Jensen. Sorry, Lewis was trying to stop Nico from even attempting his lap. You think? Conspiracy I, hat on. I, I but I, not. It's not even conspiracy, and I think it, it's almost a valid tactic. To be fair, in that they knew that they were going to be tight, and I think Lewis thought, well, if I just trundle along slowly, they're, they're going to keep us in station in general. Um, so all I got to do is try and cut it as close as I possibly can make it, and hope that he doesn't make it across the line in time. Um, and he nearly didn't. There's some very interesting pictures on, on YouTube videos showing exactly how tight it was for Nico crossing the line uh, to start his time lap. Um, but they managed to do it, and poor old uh, Sergio Perez missed out because he ended up behind the two of them pissing about. Um, 
and halfway through Lewis Hamilton gave up. Explain that to me, Sean. Explain why any racing driver doesn't see out the lap. Uh, complacency? That's all I can think of. We've seen the time on the dash and thinks he just got it wrong at the end of the day. He didn't he didn't know what was coming in sector three, he didn't know what the quick he didn't know there was gonna be grip there. The changing he got quiet by the conditions. But surely he, is a, he made a mistake. Surely you can forgive a team for saying we're not going to send out and send you out again. So you can forgive, say, Daniel Ricciardo not going out again, thinking that the track's not going to improve because the team's made that decision. Do you know what I mean? He's nothing he can do about it, or the team has made it in in, in conjunction with him. But it, it's all Lewis. It's Lewis's decision to. But if it was a bone drag qualifying session and you know you're going on your final hot lap and you look and you see after two sectors that you're you're two seconds down, you're gonna just pit the car. I don't think you are. I think that's the point, isn't it? If you're a racing driver and there's any chance that you might not get we what you want or that you, you might all the time. You see it all the time. I think you see it on the time when there really genuinely is no chance. Yeah, well that's what I mean though. Lewis obviously just genuinely believed that he that there was no time to be made there. I think he just made an honest mistake. He, he was he got he didn't realise there was grip in sector three. He assumed because he was three seconds down in the first two sectors, he'd can he'd still be seconds down going to the last sector. So he just he pitted the lap in the way that he would on bone dry conditions, and he's just been absolutely made to look like a fool by the weather. Well, I think I that's think, it. I think he's day. been made to look like a fool by himself. Well, you I'm, can not see I'm, not, I'm not. I can't argue that point. He, like he has been, especially when everybody else, like nobody else, stopped the lap after two, two and, seconds. And that's what it is, isn't it? That that's the point, isn't it? Nico didn't stop stop the lap. He Nick, decided Nick he was. A, he made a comment on Twitter, I think it was, or Facebook or something, saying like, "What was it? If you, I can't remember exactly, but it was something along the lines of, if you don't try, the person who doesn't try never wins, or something like that." Yep. So it's worth having a go anyway, but yeah, it was Lewis being a bit complacent, being a bit stupid. What can you say? He got it wrong at the end of the day, and he held his hands up. To be fair, he did. To be fair, I'll give him. I'll give him that. But very, wrong. very interesting. After having some comments made recently about Nico being the intelligent driver, and uh, mm. maybe Lewis being the fast driver, but not, not quite as. Uh, that's, well, that's what I've been kind of saying all season, and it's the reason I, I kind of like Nico. Eh? So, I mean, that, that, I would certainly give some weight to that theory. Cool. So that led us to that very mixed-up grid with several cars right at the back uh, who should have been up at the front, and lots of cars in the middle who should have been at the back, and a few cars in the front who may or may not really generally have been there on that that normal kind of uh, pace. Kim Jensen button in third, and Kevin Magnussen in fifth. Some of the best qualifying that they've had this year. Um, that takes us to the race. And. Where to begin? <laughs> I think there's only one place you can begin, and it's a, a, a certain Finnish driver, perhaps. Yes, indeed, who uh, made about four corners before mm. um, having a hell of an accident. It um, looked like he had about as much grip going through that um, turn four in the Ferrari as he did on his lawnmower in the pre show. Like when he's, he's proper drifting it out wide, turning it going wide, and the, the speed that he's tried to come back on the track there, can you reckon him? Going over that bump, he's, that's 150 miles an hour, just foot to the floor. 
Thorns on that guy. Well, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, um, it was a bit of a, a wacky start anyway because uh, you had obviously Lewis in sixth on the grid, uh, trying desperately to make up places similar as he did in Austria. And then you had the Ferraris and the Williamses, way, way out of position and much faster cars than obviously those in front of them. And then you had Massa, who just didn't get going at all at the start. I think he, he was complaining about a slow uh, formation lap. From... He complained about a slow, slow formation lap and that um, his uh, clutch didn't engage on uh, his takeoff. So yeah. he, he tried to flick it through the gears, but the gears just literally weren't there. So he had to sort of work back, work his way back down and start again, which is always the problem with the sequential gearbox, really. <laughs> you get halfway up, you've got to go halfway yeah. back again. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> Yeah, so you've got all that going on. So everybody's jostling for position. Massa gets caught up. Something's going on that right down the back. I can't even remember. I just remember seeing someone sort of sliding down the down the front corner. Down it, that. It's surreal. There's um, <laughs> there was contact between a Toro Rosso and somebody else. But uh, to be honest with you, I think the, I think Kimmy's problem actually started from his own teammate. Um, not that. Alonso drove him off the road or anything like that, but he was side by side with Alonso for ages, um, and that pushed him out to the right-hand side of the track. And then I think he got a bit of a swap, uh, or lost a bit, a little bit of grip, so ran out wide. And as you say, he decided that he wasn't having any of this shit. I'm just going to put my foot down and come back onto track as fast as I possibly can. It's sensational. That's, and then obviously we're all seeing the pictures. He hits the bump and just catapult straight into the, the ankle barrier like nose first proper 150 mile it's a head-on collision scary scary accident when you see the cars do that thing where they flick out 90 bang. degrees yeah. and then something about the grip catches and then they just shoot forward yeah. direct on into what would be a normally a side impact scary scary stuff and it, and you've got to say that you know walk, be, being able to walk out of that with bruised ankles and a bruised shoulder, which is I think what what he ended up walking away with, walking away from it even. Yeah. You think about yeah, Schumacher and the crash that he had into the tire barriers and bits and pieces at Silverstone where he broke yeah, his leg. Broke his leg, and for Kimi not to have a broken leg or a broken ankle there is it's fucking sensational, really, isn't it? Yes. Um, poor old Felipe Massa gets caught up in it all. Did you see the picture of him? Uh, very lucky boy. He was lucky in a way, even more lucky because the the rim came out of the tire. Uh, the rim hit the back of the of the car, and it was the the tread and the body of the actual the rubber bit that smacked off right by his head. Yeah. Um, so he was even luckier in in that sense that. Uh, yeah, if that tire hits him in the helmet, he's probably a goner. I guess. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, with the with the rim, with the metal piece. Oh, absolutely. But well, even you know, even with the tire tire tread alone, it's still heavy, and they're yeah. still going 150 miles an hour. Um, you know, I know Henry Sirtis well, was killed by a, to... by a full wheel, but it's you know can't be that much. There's still got to be enough force in there to do you some some real damage. And look at the spring that hit Massa. Damage that done. That was just a little spring, so yeah. smaller than a tire. Yeah, just complete carnage. Justifiably red flagged. Uh, don't think you could have done anything other than that. Did you see Kamui Kobayashi 
go full on rally cross across the grass. Oh yeah, yeah. Because he was coming across accident, and, yeah, and, and Kimmy was coming back across stuff, across yeah. the grass and he was just like, okay, <laughs> yeah, just bang it to I'm the just going to find, again, <laughs> I'm going to put my foot down and we're going to see what happens. When... Shut your eyes and see, yeah, just hope for the best. <laughs> so f fair play to him for uh, <laughs> for carrying on after that. I would have probably just gone, do you know what? I'm just going to stop now. That's, this is just getting silly. Thank you. Um, yeah, and, and poor old uh, Max Chilton, not content with nearly getting killed by bits of Ferrari, uh, drives into the pits and gets himself a penalty <laughs> for not going in for going in the pit lane before it was open. It's so bizarre. <laughs> I know it's like the how are these professional Formula One teams not knowing their own rules? Eh? Like, well, <laughs> I'm gonna call up your um, your boyfriend on this. <laughs> Sorry, I'm gonna call up your favourite driver on this, Fernando Alonso. Who also managed to forget on the restart exactly which um, box he was supposed to be in? Well, that wasn't the restart, was it? That was the. Oh, was it the? I know oh, it was the original start, wasn't it? Yes, you forgot which grid position he was yeah, in because he, he was so far back. Ended up, ended up half a car length <laughs> in the grid somehow. I loved it. I just, it was just so funny. You could see, you could almost see his face in that, oh, and oh, it was just like, no, 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 no. Oh, fuck! The car's in front of me. Stop! Oh shit! This is my box. My box. My box. <laughs> that oh. is, and, and obviously you can't reverse because that's. Major trouble. But grip, he said he so. said he tried. Did he say he tried? He said because it was the start, he thought he could he'd be able to engage reverse and go back, but he couldn't engage reverse at all. To be fair, them though, uh, I think the punishment was fair. Five uh, seconds. Well, yeah. That's the perfect sort of use of that new five-second penalty. Again, another FIA rule that's worked out incredibly well this season. Yeah, but... because I mean, what was it? Half a car length. He got pretty much no advantage at all, but at the same time... Well, the funniest thing is he, he had a... So he was a quick slap on the wrist. He had a bad start. He <laughs> yeah. lost places on the start. He didn't, you know, it's not like he actually did, you know, was was miles ahead. Red flag, so they had to start again pretty much anyway. Like, Yeah, I mean, it was a silly one by Fernando, but, you know, everybody has a brain fart now and again. <laughs> Uh, indeed, it was. Um... So what actually happened up the front? We talked about the carnage down the back end with all the the drivers out of position up front. We had Nico still leading away for the time being. Uh, did uh, was Vettel in second at this point, or did Vettel get jumped? I can't I think remember. Was Jensen in second at that point? Jensen jumped Vettel. I'm pretty sure he did. Vettel got a poor start, I believe. He did, know. yes. Really poor start. Um, I'm trying to remember. He had the McLarens all over the back of him. Yep. Even I guess Lewis got ahead of it, or did he not? Did it, it was Rosberg, then the McLarens, and then Lewis, I think. I think it ended up being something along those lines. Vettel had a, I know Vettel had a very poor start. He, because um, because yeah. uh, Daniel had a reasonable start, so they ended up like only a couple of cars apart, I think, by yeah. by the restart. Um, it was very interesting actually, because Brundle seemed to suggest that the restart they'd have to line up in their original grid position. Well, that's what I. Th well, that's what I thought. Because they initially. hadn't done one lap. I thought that as well, but apparently it's the lineup at the last time sector. So obviously they've gone through sector one. So they line up the order they were in through sector one, and therefore thus the order basically from when the start had happened, and they're all juggled around position off the grid. But I, I initially thought, oh, well, that's fine then. That'll stick Lewis back behind Vettel, and I was quite pleased about that. But uh, no, never, that never got to be the case. Uh, so, 
let's let's work our way down our our results in our in our inimitable way that we do every week. Um, so Lewis Hamilton, we've got to talk about first, really. Well, they started sixth on the grid, and you know, I didn't. I certainly didn't expect. I didn't expect them to win going into the going into the race from sixth on the grid. But then again, I expected Rosberg to finish. I'd factored that in. So yeah, Lewis sixth on the grid, drove it to first. Doesn't matter if other people didn't finish around him. Got to say, well done. Finish first. First, you have to finish and all that. So home Grand Prix takes it from sixth on the grid to first. Fair play, got to say well done. Uh, obviously, getting past the McLarens quickly at the start was the key, and then once he was in second place, what happened to Nico? It was from about there on in. There was no contest, was it really? Uh, no. Um, it was Lewis's to to lose really at, at that point, um, and I guess you could be. You could be forgiven for thinking that maybe after the first round of pit stops, he might have let his head drop a little bit. Um, having sort of come in chasing and then to end up actually farther back because, oh dear God, another slow oh, pit stop. Conspiracy of the pit stops, yeah. He even moaned about it on the radio this time, didn't he? Well, no, he did the opposite, didn't he? He said, don't worry about the pit stop. We'll oh, make, just, we'll make just, up just for it later. Worry. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I, heard, I heard him say something about pit stops. So I won't have attention to what it was. Yeah, so, so actually, he was he was very positive about it, um, which worked out very nicely for him because obviously, then um, poor old Nico Rosberg on lap twelve, his uh, Mercedes gearbox fell to pieces, had problems downshifting for a couple of laps, and then uh, had problems upshifting yeah, after that. The writing was kind of on the wall for a bit before it actually happened. It was giving me a bit of kittens, and then all of a sudden, the end, it wasn't to be. But Fair play to Lewis, you know, as Brundle put out on commentary, Lewis had the problem in Australia, Nico won. Nico's had the problem in Silverstone, Lewis has won, that's 1-1. One, one. As for the problem in Canada, Brundle pointed out nicely on commentary, I thought that Nico did such a good job, sort of, like they both had a similar problem in Canada, and Nico just managed to nurse the car home, as opposed to Lewis, so... He kind of deserved this, the second place he got there for his ability to nurse the car home. Absolutely. So in terms of DNFs, he kind of, like obviously Lewis had two, but in te- the luck kind of thing is sort of evened out now, and it's reflected in the championship. There's only four points between them, so luck's evened out, championship's evened out. It's game on from here on in. Let's see what they've got here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I I'm. Best for winning his home Grand Prix. I think that's it. Yeah, like he did, he did what had to be done at the end of the day. He got he passed the McLarens. Uh, he got past Vettel fairly easily at the start. He got the luck when Rosberg came out, and he and he he was never in any danger. He did he drove the car. He nursed at home. He didn't take any risks. He, I thought he might have tried that one stopper towards the end. Actually, it looked like he probably could have gotten home on that original set of tyres, but they obviously chose to stop again. Yeah, up in hand. No need to 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 worry about it. Was there no. really? Um. And uh, Lewis, Lewis drove the drove the, the simple uh, controlled race up the front to to get the victory that he obviously so desperately wanted. The only other time he's won around Silverstone, two thousand and eight, and we know what he did that year. So well, indeed, indeed. Well yeah. done to Lewis. He says through gritted teeth. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you next time in Hockenheim. Fuck find Uber Alice. <laughs> <laughs> well. Something to make you happier, I think, obviously, after that, would be that, amazingly, 
in second place was uh, Valtteri Bottas. I can't believe Bottas is drive. You know that. Wow. How, how did he get that in second from there? That that Williams must be quick. It's mighty, yeah. I think. That's the the ironic thing is is that there's some news that we'll talk about later, which may which may haunt them potentially, because I don't know how much the system in question is bolted into their car um, and how crucial it is to a lot of the things that are going on. Um, but I hope it isn't because we need to see this. We need to see challengers being able to take good cars from bad positions and drive the arse out of them until you know they get the uh, the just rewards for them. Bottas has just proven to me again this weekend and what he did in Austria and what he's done several times over the last year just that this guy is the uh, the real deal. I'm um, I'm slowly but surely becoming a big Val Bottas fan, uh, and I can't wait to see what he can do in that car if that Williams continues to develop the way the way it has been going. If it, if it develops at the same sort of rate, the same speed as it has done from from Australia to now, between now and the end of the season, can he maybe win a Grand Prix this year? I think he why can. Why not? Daniel Ricciardo won a Grand Prix in that crap Red Bull, so why the <laughs> hell not? So. Yeah, I would love to see Bottas get a win this year. I love it. Yeah, he very he just did a very calm race, I think, didn't he? Just, yeah, very he, composed. He, he overtook all the people he needed to so that he wasn't slow, caught up with the midfield of the pack and then stayed out longer than all the people doing two stops um, and was and just made it work. Just they, they yeah. knew they, they, went, they were the people that knew about the one stop straight off. So they didn't compromise anything about their race trying to work around it. Which just goes to show you that it could have been a very, you know, it could have been easily been a Williams double podium had Massa not um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. been taken out. You have to think that given the space Bottas had, Massa could have easily gotten right up there. And when Bottas did it, so I couldn't Massa. Massa's, no, a, good, Massa's a more than capable Formula One driver, he's won 11 Grand Prix. So, yeah, he's got a. I mean, it's a good sign for Williams in the sense that if we were talking after Austria, oh, was it a fluke? Well, this kind of proves no. I don't think it was a fluke. This car is now pretty much got like you have to say is the second best car on the grid by mm -hmm. by a, by a bit now, and that's great. I'm really pleased about that. I'm really pleased about that. It is, and it it all seems to be down to again that Williams, with their mechanical engineering background, look the area that they've been strongest were the first non-Mercedes team to split the turbo and therefore get the packaging that meant that they had a a chassis that was much more like the Mercedes, and look what's happened. Do you know what I mean? Better weight distribution and all the other bits and pieces that go along with it, better cooling and, and all the things. And they've just all the little things that they're just they're going to add up just a little bits of time here and there, well, and overall give you a better balance and a better packing. You got to think they were probably maybe two or three tenths off of the Red Bull pace at the start of the season. Now they're probably two or three tenths ahead. Exactly. It, you know. All of those little two tenths that all of those small little changes that they've made have, have just turned into a half a second gain that's put them well ahead of everybody else. And that's that's Formula One, isn't it? That's the beauty. That's that's why we love the sport. That's what we want to see. We want to see teams developing throughout the season. We don't want to see teams turn up like McLaren did last season with a dog of a car in Australia and just continue to have a dog of a car all year. You need to find that balance between testing and. I don't know, not tested. Tested <laughs> so and, and cost-saving, isn't it? Yeah, like, it's the, the ultimate balance that keeps costs to a, a reasonable standard, but also 
lets the teams develop the cars because if they don't develop the cars then we're just going to get the same race every week so you need to be able to see teams like Williams and it's good for the sport seeing seeing Williams proven that hey it can be done and even more so it can be done on a budget because they're, they're not the team they were in the 90s they're much they've had a, a lot of barren years where money has been extremely tight so if Williams can do it Sure as hell Ferrari can do it, sure as hell Red Bull can do it, sure as hell McLaren can do it. And it gives even hope, I guess, to teams like uh, like Force India. Mm. So Absolutely. Basically, this is a rallying call. Get your fingers out, especially Ferrari and McLaren. I mean, these are the two biggest Formula 1 teams of all time, and they're meandering. It's not good enough. Absolutely. Uh, so with Valtteri taking that shot second, we also, in essence, I guess, got a shock third, although I, uh, seeing a Red Bull in third is probably... Not a shock, but who it was was possibly more of a shock. You know what shock. this reminded me of? Mr. Mr. Danny Rick getting mm -hmm. the podium here. This looked like Vettel was Massa last season and Ricardo being Alonso. And Massa had somehow outqualified Alonso but just went backwards, whereas Alonso had qualified poorly but still got the pace at the car and got the job done and took it home in the podium. That's what it looked like. It looked like Ricardo just had a better understanding of how to get the pace out of that car, whereas Vettel just, I know he spent half his time dueling with Fernando, but I mean, he started second on the grid and finished fifth, he just went backwards. I think that it's a tale of an interesting race in terms of, um, because Vettel was up front, because he was racing, they put him on the optimum strategy and they, they pitted him off against other people pitting. So Vettel went in early when all the other cars were thinking about going in early to change for their two-stop. Um, and because of that, that meant, I think, Daniel decided that he was just going to see how the tyres went to see how long he could eke out the first in before still doing his two-stop. But it was long enough that um, when they saw somebody change to the hard tyre, start putting in the laps, it suddenly was just like, oh, okay, we don't need to think about doing a two-stop. We can, you know we're good enough to, to turn this into a one-stop. And so suddenly, you know, he ended up on what turned out to be the massively optimum strategy. Mm -hmm. um, it, was, it just sort of fell into place for him in the way it, fall, it used to fall into place for Vettel. And it was falling into place for Ricardo. It's just it's so weird to see. I'm just not used to seeing Vettel not get the luck. Vettel always has always had the rub of the green. It's always been the other way about. Mark Webber would get the bad luck, would get the strategy, not go his way, and Vettel would always somehow come out smelling the roses, even if he'd had a couple of mistakes or whatever. It's just so strange to see it reversed. It's, it's honestly like they've given him Mark Webber's car, <laughs> and, and like Ricardo's now in Vettel's car. It's so strange, but it's great because you know I love to see someone actually put Seb in his place a little bit. Yeah, good for the sport. Good for the team, I think, as well. Yeah, I think it it's important that a team isn't complacent about having a number one and a number two. And that, you know, I don't think that ha that's helped Ferrari in the last few years of saying, we, we build for a Fernando Alonso and we, you know, masses our guinea pig to get data out of the, you know, for Fernando to improve on. Um the thing about Danny Rick as well is I've always thought, I've always rated him really highly since even before he was in Formula 1, like when he was testing 
for Red Bull and Toro Rosso several seasons ago, even before he had his HRT drive, he always looked mighty on one lap pace. He always looked fast. But it's great to see that he's got like racecraft and strategy in him as well, and not just pure pace. He is, the more he races, the more you think this guy's the complete driver. A little bit like Bottas. Yes. Yeah. more you see Bottas, like the way Bottas uh, drove today, uh, or drove at Silverstone, the way he came through the field and composed, did what he needed to do, got the strategy right, things like that. It was more than just pace. There was, there was, this, yeah, you know, crafting. intellect, yeah, craft in there. So, and Ricardo's shown that he's got that as well, which is great. Somebody who's definitely not short on uh, race craft, but has probably been short on uh, a decent car for the last couple of seasons, um, was Jensen Button. Short on support oh. from Ron Dennis, if well, you believe, as well. Indeed, a swift kick up the butt. It, it, it seemed kick, kick up the button. <laughs> kick up the button, indeed. Um, a good drive from Jensen and Matt McLaren. A tale, of, a tale of what could have been at the end. Um, like so many drivers, ruining the... Uh, the end of the race and wishing it could have just been one or two laps longer. You think yeah. you definitely would have got Ricardo oh, at the end? Easily. Easily. Just, uh, just two laps would have been enough probably. You don't close the gap that he had on Ricardo as quickly as he did without being able to you know, he'd have he's in a car that's faster on the straights anyway, on a car with better tires and it's just it it was going it would have happened. It was like you said about Ricardo, they sort of looked into the the one-stop strategy almost and because of that by the end of the race they were at the maximum they could have been they, they like any longer and it wouldn't have worked so mm -hmm. obviously ricardo was tippy-toeing towards the line and you had jensen coming through like a steaming blow and just just didn't have i think it was one second to cross the line apart or something so yeah or less than less than it was just he got drs for the first time in the in the second detection which is a shame because obviously with the whole Papa Smurf and, and John Button and everything like that, it would have been nice to see Jensen on the podium this weekend. But especially because he's never had one, which is just mad that he's driven <laughs> 15 years in Formula One. It's a bit something like, like um, something like 15, 10 race wins, 15 race wins or something. Drives for McLaren, drives for Braun. They had an amazing car that season. He's never been on a podium at Silverstone. I guess yeah. that's a bit like Barrichello and not winning the Brazilian Grand Prix, isn't it? Yeah, is it? and it's one of those stupid enigmas. It's just like. Why it's can't like you win the, your like, home race? It's like wrestling, doing but, the job in your hometown. <laughs> Vettel was the same as well, didn't he? He hadn't, he didn't, hadn't won the German Grand Prix until last season. Madness. It's uh, yeah, it's obviously funny how sometimes tracks can do that to you. But it was, oh, I was, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, my hands on my heart, and I uh, will happily admit it. And you know, I'm not a paid journalist. I'm a fan. I am allowed to have my favourites, and Jensen Button is my favourite. And it was just wonderful to see Jensen pushing hard and getting a reward and driving the, the, the good race. Do you know what I mean? He was up in second and he could have tried to think, well, maybe I'll do the two stop and see how that works out. And, you know, maybe I'll try and dice it with the front runners. But, you know, he stuck to what he thought was going to work and, you know, was so close to, close to it really totally paying off. Um, so that, that made me very happy by, by the end of the race to see that happening. The next two are two that we should cover together because they were inseparable for <laughs> the best part of the race. Indeed. And what a little good little duel that was, eh? Well, Sebastian Vettel and Fernando Alonso, fifth and sixth. Who says you can't go racing these days, eh? Fucking brilliant. Some of the, that was the most interesting part of the race for me. Those, those two. I mean, it was a solid 15-lap battle or something. 
Fernando, clearly on older tyres, clearly not as uh, quick at the time as, as Seb was in the Red Bull, but just goddamn refusing to let him pass under any circumstances. Yeah, parking, point, uh, parking it on the corners where he knew that the Rebel was going to be fast so that Seb didn't get the optimum runoff and then sprinting away whenever he could just to put some distance between him. Uh, it was masterful. It was masterful driving from both of them. The only thing that I wish had happened was that both of their radios had failed at the same time. Why do you say that? Because uh, we got treated to six, seven laps of Fernando Alonso and Sebastian Vettel whining like <laughs> little girls about each of them going off the track. And they both did it. Yeah, and it's just they like... They were both as bad as each other. They were. Just, just, you were doing such beautiful racing. Two world champions showing what really good drivers can do, which is literally at 150, 170 miles an hour. Put the front wheel of your car half foot away from the side pod of the car next to you and do you know what i mean oh breathtaking it was really breathtaking um and it and it really did sour it that all they were doing was complaining about what the other one was doing just race just go and race that's what it's what formula one fans want is racing yeah you know, if our favourite driver or favourite team can't win, what we want to see is great action like that on the track. People battling for positions. Um, overtaking is one thing, isn't it? DRS is one thing, and tears and all the other things to aid overtaking is fine. But what that's what we really want, is close on on the on yeah, track action. Absolutely. Evenly matched drivers and evenly matched machinery just battling it out. That's what you want. That's why you watch the sport at the end of the day. Absolutely. Fernando, who was it that he passed through Cops? Um, Magnuson. I think it was. On the outside of Cops at 150 miles an hour. That was some, some move, wasn't it? Fernando... What about Reagan and having stones? Yeah. Jimmy had a fair set. Of... Fernando had a fair set of them there. Like... Well, and, and obviously Vettel for... Yeah, uh... well, Vettel did him up the inside, didn't he, in Cops? So... Yeah. Just great great stuff. Great stuff from both both of those drivers. Um, real, real old school dueling loved it um so that was fifth and sixth i kind of think kevin magnuson in seventh is is worthy of note in that um he was always bogged down generally behind people um he you know he's not in a car that's faster than uh the ferrari or the rebel realistically but he kept up behind them masterfully and was rather undone by the team Saying, "Oh, let's hang back and see what's happening." Well, I suppose, I suppose, if the two, you know, if if Alonso and um, Vettel had actually touched and gone off, it would have been a masterful strategy because he'd have ended up fifth, um, just behind Jensen. But in staying back, he didn't get anywhere close, and then he really wasn't in a position to attack anybody either. He only ended up three seconds behind, um, well, not even uh, two and a half seconds really behind Fernando at the end. But I think he dropped back so, so much that it kind of compromised him actually catching up at the end. Once once Vettel had passed Fernando, Fernando backed off a little bit and he, he definitely was nursing A tyres and B just, in general, nursing bits and bobs on the car. So Magnussen maybe could have could have had a better go at Alonso if he just pushed a little bit more. Uh, Nico Holtberg finished 8th uh, in a particularly... 
anonymous race for Yeah, I was just going to say that. It was very uneventful for Hulkenberg. He's had a very uneventful couple of races, actually. Mm, not his best. off the radar a little bit, but he's still picking up points and still bringing the car home. Was Nico the he's first... not really doing anything. Was Nico the first of the two stoppers? Um, I'm not 100% sure. Can't remember. Honestly. I mean, obviously other than Lewis, but... Um, I, th I get there's something in my mind thinks that he might have been. I think Vettel do stop. Oh yes, of course he did. Sorry, yes, that's why. Uh, so did Fernando two stop as well? No, that was why he was nursing tires. Uh, okay, yeah. Also, Vettel had more, like, significantly more pace towards the end of the race, and when once he was past Fernando, okay. he was able to pull out the gap, which is getting past him. Hence why Fernando had to drive the way he was driving to keep him behind putting the car right on the apex and things like that. So, Vettel two stop, Hulkenberg two stop, and then further back, I couldn't tell you. Uh, indeed. Uh, Danny Kvyat continues to score, score points in that Toro Rosso. I think I think Fiat might end up being a real real little gem in a similar way to Bottas, but, you know, just, you know, a year or two behind in terms of experience. I think this, like, he's... He's in his rookie season and he's scoring points almost every week. And a car that, you know, isn't really expected. The uh, Toro so you could expect them to get the odd point. But when reliability's been good, he's tended to be up there. So, I, uh, like, I think I'll, he's already better than Jeff. <laughs> well, and Jeff's been here three years. Yes, so. uh, indeed. I think the interesting thing is that I wonder what Red Bull feel about um, Seb now. In the, you know, if... For whatever reason, he decided to leave the team, decided to go to Ferrari or Mercedes or whoever. Whether they'd feel quite confident in the fact that they've got Danny Rick at the moment and somebody looking very impressive in exactly the same vein with Danny Kvyat, you know, mm -hmm. just waiting. Be interesting. Be real interesting to see what Red Bull did if they if Vettel did leave. Would they just promote, or would they go all out and try and sign a Fernando Alonso or someone like that to lead the team? They're a bit harsh on Danny Rick if Vettel left and then they brought in someone like Fernando. Well, indeed. I think a lot will depend on how his momentum out of, out of this season. If he can keep on scoring points like this, he'll, um, the, think... the seasons after that, he's got a much better footing to start the seasons from and therefore uh, still do better. I think what will be interesting is what happens when Red Bull and Mercedes are on an even keel. Hmm. If they're both competing properly for wins every week, and Ricardo's still managing to, to win. If he's managing to win races on his own merit and like in the same machinery as Sebastian, then that's when they might need to start looking at it and going, Well, this guy's winning races, you've got to back him. No, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so the last last points place with this, uh the aforementioned Jev in the other Toro Rosso had a uh, coming together at the start of the race with, uh, I want to say, one of the Salvas, I think. I think it was Esteban Gutierrez, um, uh, which put him way back. So he ended up uh, uh, being lapped um, before the end of the race. Sergio Perez, uh, did he get a tap somewhere along the... Well, no, he just he qualified badly, didn't he? And therefore, I just don't think he was anywhere at the race. So I don't remember him being involved in anything particularly. I can't, I can't recall anything over the top of my head, but that's not, that's never <laughs> proof that he wasn't. <laughs> no. Uh, Roman Grosjean uh, in 12th for Lotus. Uh, Adrian Sutil uh, dragged a <laughs> slightly broken 
That's probably Sotel's best performance of the season. I was going to say, probably. Uh, for 13th, Jules Bianchi, again, impressive with the 14th for Marussia. Um, head of uh, Kumio Gavsi, who ended up two laps down. But fair play to him after his, um, like I say, his rally cross expedition. Where did he manage to get the car to the finish after that? Um, the undertrain must have been absolutely full of turf. That's the only thing I can think <laughs> of. carrying an extra 10 kilos away. <laughs> <laughs> um, poor old Max Chilton ended up uh, 16th after his best qualifying performance um, after <laughs> breaking his car in the crash then to finish wandering <laughs> into the pits under a red flag um, which isn't his fault that's the team the team should be reminding a rookie driver about exactly what the red flag protocols are um, so uh, on a side note to that interestingly I read somewhere else that in the general FIA rules about red flags you can come into the pits it's only Formula One where there is oh, a specific okay. mandate to say you can't come into the pits under a red flag. Mm. You have to go to um, to your grid position. Yeah, so if you've come for another formula after and it's your first season in F1 or that, you can understand them making that mistake. Well, you just don't you assume... can understand the driver, not understand the team. The team should know. They're uh, well, absolutely. No. You don't promote teams from GP to... <laughs> <laughs> no. But, I mean, it's a silly rule, really. What difference yeah, does it make if... If you go into the pits, then you start from the pits, and therefore you're, you know, I guess the I guess the position would be that um, if you were somewhere near the, um, oh, actually no, that doesn't really work out because you'd still end up fairly last at the end. No, ignore me. I thought I was going with going somewhere with that, but no, well, I really, I, I, I still can't see. I was thinking you could jump other teams who might have to go into the pit stops, in for a pit stop, but you're. That still requires them to have a problem that requires them to go into the pit stop. I guess it's how you work, would work out who should go to the end of the pit lane first. So if, say, uh, Massa had come in at the same time as Max, Max repairs his car quicker than Massa's, he, he then goes drives to the end of the pit lane, Massa then comes out behind him, so Massa is more penalised just because his repair in the pits took longer, even though he might have been ahead of him on the track. But if his repairs took longer, then that's tough. <laughs> well, like they're... if you damage the front wing and you have to go into the pits and repair it, that's you true. lose time. That's true. Like, don't damage your front wing. I know. I mean, that's Formula One. I know it may not necessarily have been his fault because he got hit by an accident and what he wasn't involved in. But like, you get damaged, you have to go and repair it. You lose time. That's that's F one. You know. It's, but I mean, it's not. I don't think it's massively a big deal. Like, how many red flags do we get a year? No, one, that's true. One a season, maybe. Like, it is a silly rule, but. That is what it is. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. So. <laughs> Spe- well, I was just going to say, speaking of drivers getting hit in accidents, uh, finishing 17th past a Maldonado, um, for once so, involved in an accident that wasn't actually his fault. What happened to Maldonado again? Uh, he got <laughs> Esteban Gutierrez. Oh, yeah, he got, got him back. For the, well, he tried for to. The flip. <laughs> yeah, Gutierrez was silly here. This was a stupid accident. But he just—he was just trying too hard, and I think he didn't give a fuck whether he really smacked into Pasta or not. Um, it's a GP2 accident. It really, yes, it really was. Um, the sight of the um, Lotus flying through the air prompted the uh, Lotus F1 Twitter team to uh, calmly put down on Twitter that the bottom of the uh, uh, E22 is available for sponsorship. Uh, if... <laughs> That's <laughs> so brilliant. That was genius. <laughs> Nobody would want to sponsor that, that piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, my reply to them was, I guess Red Bull gives you wings is out, though. 
yeah, it was a GP2 crash, though. I think Gutierrez was rightfully punished for his sloppiness, yeah. wasn't he? Well, he's, and I think, is he got something pending for the next race as well? Does he as well? GP2 crash between two GP2 level drivers. <laughs> yes, I think that's pretty much it. So, also, yes, dump. Also, not finishing. We've uh, covered Massa and Raikkonen, obviously, at the start. Nico Rosberg, the biggest one, uh, championship contender, gearbox problem, gifted Lewis Hamilton the victory. And the biggest shame about that is we were robbed of what could have been another great fight between the Mercedes drivers. Who knows what would have happened between those two. Well, I think the interesting thing would have been what would they have done with the strategy? Yeah. You Imagine know, Lewis, Lewis too stopped because he could. Yeah. But if they exactly. were fighting one another... You know, do they have to go for the two stop, and do they stop at different times, and it all becomes a bit, they you know, split them. Who knows? Absolutely, absolutely. And oh god, can you imagine if they would split the strategy, and then Nico would ended up twenty seconds ahead of Lewis after oh, the, can, oh, the, the the butt hurt <laughs> would have been strong. <laughs> the butt hurt is strong in this one. Uh, unfortunately, we were robbed of that because of a gearbox problem for Nico, which you know. I'm obviously really disappointed about not just because we were robbed as a viewer, but my uh, 29-point lead that I had with Rosberg over Lewis has been evaporated. It's now four points, and as I said earlier, game on, Hockenheim next week, Nico's home track. Uh, we shall see. Careful how I word that there, eh? <laughs> as I'm sure we'll come to. But um, very just, just I went away with a real feeling of deflation after watching it because I was like, oh well, that was great. It was a really good race, but. Fuck. <laughs> fuck, 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 Nico's lost his gap. <laughs> but, as I said earlier, you know, Lewis had Australia, Nico's had here, we're kind of evened out. If Nico goes on to win the championship from here, he'll have done it all on his own merit, so. And just one other DNF quickly as uh, Marcus Ericsson, for <laughs> reasons I'm not entirely sure. Um... Yeah, everything just broke on his car, I think. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's what it came down to that. So, yeah, Lewis victory. Bottas second. Uh, Ricardo third. Driver of the day. Oh, um, that's a real tough one. Um, I'm going to give it to Valtteri for coming from corner and Q, uh, Q1, getting it up to second, avoiding all the chaos at the start, avoiding all the chaos just in general, passing people that he needed to pass on the track, solid race, uh, and he got the strategy right, although obviously credit to the team there, but got the strategy spot on, did everything he needed to do, and just, you know, he didn't even finish all that far behind Lewis, I don't think, in the end, so, yep, Bottas is my rather the day, because Lewis would have got it, if Lewis had, if Rosberg had finished second and Lewis had finished first and Lewis had passed Rosberg on the track, he absolutely would have been driver of the day. But because Rosberg uh, uh, retired and um, Lewis was kind of handed the victory and as good as he did to get past the, the slower cars like uh, your vetters and your buttons, he didn't really have to work that hard for this race. So I'm giving it to Bottas. I think, all in all, I'm going to give it as a joint award to uh, Sebastian and Fernando. Oh, just for their dueling? Just because I was hooked by that absolutely hooked for four or five laps and um it couldn't have been any better couldn't have been any tighter just such skill from both men to not end up in a big 
smoky accident in in cops somewhere or or onto the start finish line. I just I just thought it was magnificent, and you're completely right in that Valtteri deserves all the praise for driving a pretty much faultless race. Um, but I'd like to reward, you know, something special, and I thought that little duel was something special. That's fair play. I can't argue with that. Two guys, like you said earlier, former world champions, proven why they're former world champions. Two former multiple world mm. champions, proven why they're multiple world champions. People say Vettel doesn't have racecraft, he only wins from the front. I think that myth's kind of been blown out a wee bit the last year or so, hasn't it? Well, so, indeed, and and for fifth and sixth. Exactly. Proven, you know what I mean? proven their commitment, like, under any circumstances. And, you know, you would get guys who would just meander in fifth or sixth, but... Uh, you know, if there's any, if there's going to be a couple of guys who are going to fight for fifth and sixth, it's probably those two, isn't it? They <laughs> yes. both just love to race. They're racers, they want to just go fast and race crap. And can't argue with you. It's fucking great. Some of the best. I mean, think this season we've been treated to a lot of wheel to wheel action this season, particularly with the Mercedes drivers. But you know, Vettel and Alonso showing that those uh, those old dogs can't be forgotten <laughs> about yet, can they? Absolutely. How good would it be if those two cars had? The pace of the Mercedes, all in a set, all yeah. those like if we could get the Mercedes, the Red Bull, and the Ferrari, and even the Williams and the McLaren, it, within just a couple of tenths of each other consistently. Some of the races, like you could have like Vettel and Alonso dueling with guys like Bottas up and coming through the field, and that mm -hmm. just it, it, it feels like we're close to something special. It's just just not quite there yet, but hopefully it'll come. So yeah, I can't argue with your awards. So. <laughs> uh, retard of the race. Uh, I mean, Gutierrez is definitely up there for his just sloppy, sloppy um, attempted overtaking manoeuvre, if you could call it that, on Maldonado. Uh, Ferrari and Williams teams for the... Uh, yeah, definitely for their qualifying performance. Qualifying, yep. Um, and uh, I do like Fernando's... Um, we're going to give Fernando driver of the day and retard of the race for his little leg uh, grid. Oh, yes, I think <laughs> yes, two in one. That's... First person ever to be given both of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, then like, you described it perfectly. Ben. You could you could just almost feel them just going shit, shit, shit. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, <laughs> Loved it. But yeah, like I mean, there's a little, a few little minor ones there that could they could all easily get it. So. But, um, I mean, I think Williams and Ferrari probably the biggest. I, I think they they deserve it. I think for the, <laughs> the for not not paying attention really. Although um, Lewis for his qualifying error as well could easily have well, that's well. that's true enough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was a, it was a very botchy weekend. It was with the weather, with the weather conditions. You know, has to be expected, and it creates good TV. So, I mean, we wouldn't have anything to talk about if everybody just did everything fine. <laughs> no, this is <laughs> this is entirely true. Just a wee word on Kimi Raikkonen before we move on to the news. After that massive accident, just ankle bruising, so he missed the test and uh, Silverstone, didn't he? But he's going to be fit for. Hockenheim, so that's uh, good to see. Good yes. To, good that he walked away from such a big crash and hurt. Uh, like uh, did we mention that they had to spend an hour uh, fixing the barrier, by the way? Really well, we didn't, that? and I, I was thinking actually Star of the Race should have gone to um, the uh, Armco repair technicians, yeah. because yeah. if it happens on a motorway, they have to close it down for about three weeks to repair a bit of uh, yeah. got it done broken in an barrier. Hour, so, so well done them. <laughs> um, and we should mention that later on when I we should talk about my my day on Twitter with uh, with the British Grand Prix, which was eventful nonetheless. And another reason why you should sign up and follow us on Twitter, goddammit. Um, but as you say, I think it's probably about time that we take a look at what's going on in the news. 
the Final Lap Podcast News. So in the news this uh, this week, we've got obviously it's the in-season test at Silverstone. They're all still there after the Grand Prix at the weekend. They're, they're getting a chance, a rare moment to test these cars these days. Uh, not like they're good old days when Ferrari were winning everything. But um, uh, we've got uh, one of the topics that's come out of this weekend is a uh, trial in some new tyres. Now you're probably more. Uh, you probably know more about this than me. You're a bit more of the the techie side of things than <laughs> I am. But, uh, I think was what they're going from thirteen inch wheels, which we currently have, to eighteen inch, which uh, they've they've tested them this weekend. Uh, so, well, this week it's a weekday actually. And uh, yeah, what, what 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 do you think about that then? Do you think we're that'll be good? You'll know. I'm not really sure. It won't make any difference. <laughs> I think. Um... There's lots of little things. The bigger the wheel, the more chance there is to think of interesting aerodynamic things that you can do with the free air that's going through the centre of the tyre and how you direct that and channel it and do various bits and pieces. Um, bigger wheels, or it, it could lead to bigger wheels, which would be good, more mechanical grip rather than reliant on aero. That, to me, is a good thing. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, some people have said that they think that because it's obviously by comparison a much lower profile tyre than um, the little 13 inch stubby ones that the drivers won't be able to go quite so high up on the kerbs and there's a bigger risk of failure I don't see that as a particular problem I'd be quite happy if the drivers had to be a little bit more cautious about going out the kerbs rather than flattening across them and, and making them nothing if it makes them keep to the track limits a bit more well isn't that what we've been trying to do in the last couple of races? Yeah, no, absolutely. I I completely agree. I also yeah. think that they look pretty cool. Um, I, I that was the main the main point I had because, like you say, I'm I'm not as clued up on some of the the techie stuff, but just from a pure aesthetic point of view, I think they do look cool. See, when you look at them and look back at the current ones, you're kind of like, oh yeah, they they're nice. I want them. <laughs> Put them on your car, please. Like, I, I like them. So it's when you look at the little ones and you think, oh, yeah, there's there's an awful lot of tyre right, and not, not a lot of rim. Until you see the new ones, do you? <laughs> yeah. Because I think the, the interesting thing is is that realistically, the height of the tyres isn't all that different. Um, because obviously they Pirelli make up the difference in uh, in height with, with just sort of bigger tyre walls. So you look at the size of the P0 that's on the side of them at the moment. And then the size of the tiny P0 that's on the outside of them yeah. now. Um, Definitely. It, it's interesting. I, I I think if they can... Anything that makes the cars look a little bit more aggressive, I like. And I think bigger rims do. I don't know if 18 inches is necessarily what I'd say, yeah, it has to be 18 inches. I think you could have maybe do a 15 or 16 inch rim. And then maybe you've got a somewhere in between that they look bigger and more aggressive but they're not quite so um quite so low profile um the other alternative of that for me is that you go back to having 18 inch rims and have the uh just have bigger tires yeah big big huge old school tires it, it, you know exactly i'd love to see the tires on the back of the car be big huge monsters um rather than the little ones at the back which always kind of makes it it makes it look like the cars are skating around on little shopping trolley wheels 
and I want my cars to look, you know, like they're chewing up the, the wheels are chewing up the tarmac, and the old, the old cars always used to. Um, I mean, we've been here before with low profile tires. It's not a first. Um, it's just been a while. <laughs> yeah. So what else have you uh, spotted on the news this week, then? Um, very much in the same vein that Roman Grosjean clearly isn't French. <laughs> oh yeah, this uh, is a classic. Nico Rosberg is also apparently not a hundred percent German. Which... Mind games, mind <laughs> games from Lewis in the run up to Hockenheim. That's what it is. I thought that was very. I thought it was a very funny. I mean, uh, Nico himself says it's a, it's been taken wildly out of context, but. Um, I think I mean, the, funny, I, I, the funniest thing is that, that. It, it's sure actually it true, isn't it? Really, as we discovered in previous shows, there is a thing as a as it Monacanese. <laughs> Indeed, he's pretty much Monacanese. Well, he? It, he was born in Monaco, no, raised in Monaco, no, and no, uh, it's the other, uh, no. I, I think he lit, he was born in Germany, but raised in Monaco. But raised in Monaco, and realistically, I, I don't know if. I mean, obviously, his, his dad's Finnish. His mother, Rosberg I think is his mother's German. Ge mother would possibly be German or Austrian or something along those things. I think there's a there's a there's a claim that he he could probably claim a one of about five places as as where he's apparently, from. But I was reading that apparently I'm not a linguistic expert by any stretch of the imagination, but when he speaks English, he apparently speaks it with a Monacanese accent because he grew up there. And that was one of the points that was made. And, and according to Lewis, I believe, believe the Formula One media at your peril, but according to Lewis, the reports were saying that Lewis complained because he used to always represent Monaco when they were in go-karting and has only changed to German when he came up through the ranks in F1. So, I mean, there obviously is a little bit of something to it, but I think it's, it's just mind games. Do you know it? what? It, it strikes me as another Lewis Hamilton... Um, why do they keep on giving me penalties? Maybe it's because I'm black. <laughs> Which I thought was, a, was genius. I love that quote. And the fact that they made him apologise and all the bits and pieces really pissed me off. Because it was yeah. just like, that's funny. He's, exactly. he's the only black guy in Formula One. <laughs> Make it, do you know what I mean? If you're going to not talk you're about the elephant in the room, take it as a fucking joke. And I'm sure that's probably what it came down to it. Is that somebody said something about um, Nico getting real big support in, in Germany. And he said, well, it's not really German, is he? <laughs> never used to stand next to a German flag when we were in karting. He's kind of German and Finnish and Monegasque and all these bits and people. So I'm sure it's just a half off the cuff thing. Yeah, he's absolutely. not gone there and gone, but he's not fucking German, is he? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah, right. And I absolutely can totally believe that that's what's happened. And, you know, the press have gone, oh my God, and jumped on it like nothing else. But it's, it's, it's funny, it's personality, it's, it's banter. The kind of thing Mark Webber would used to say. Yes, absolutely. Um, a a non-story tried attempting to be turned into a story by the uh, press. Yeah. Another, uh, another little thing to note, uh, moving away from, from Mercedes, is Renault's problems with Red Bull and their engines. Their, a head has rolled, <laughs> uh, rather unsurprisingly. Uh, changed their management of their Formula One division after poor performance of its engine this year. Well, poor performance is probably putting it fairly kindly. Uh, and their, uh, their managing director of the Formula 1 division, uh, a French guy, Jean-Michel Janier, has retired and they've made a few changes around there after Christian Horner's scathing comments 
uh, a week before. So, not really any surprise there. Uh, that this that one needs to make a change. Speaking of changes, Caterham F1 and oh, Tony Fernandez yeah, is no that. more after repeatedly telling us and twittering us, telling us Caterham's not for sale, he's not looking to sell. Uh, he sold it. I think that, that the deal got done just before the British Grand Prix, though, didn't it? It got mm -hmm. done before the weekend, so that's probably why it's kind of slipped under the radar. But we were too busy thinking about the actual Grand Prix that happened, and it happened just before, and it's just gone 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 quietly. But yeah, indeed, Caterham has been sold, and to who? <laughs> uh, it's as a Colin Collis that's involved, isn't it? Uh, yes, the um, former he was to do with HRT and yes. Minardi and a few other. Sort of black marketing. Oh, it's just kind of that's kind of a bit weird, isn't it? Because you think, hey, yeah, he's got you know he's got experience with dealing with a, a team with that much money at the back of the grid, but it just doesn't say much for your ambition, really, does it? No, I mean, what's he going to do? Just keep them there, meander and do nothing. Right? But, and they've put Christian Albers in as some sort of not team principal, but basically a team principal role. Uh, Christian Albers being a former Minardi driver, I think. Uh, Albers. I think I'm I'm 99% so. sure it's, it's uh, Minardi. So yeah, uh, I always I always end up saying this, but was did he drive for Arrows or Midland? <laughs> you always guess Arrows, and guess what? You're on the money. It's Midland. Ah, there we go. I and knew Minardi. it was one of those sort of. I'm sure he was in like in one of those transitional teams that we had. <laughs> they all came, did two seasons, and then fucked off. Yeah, Midland and um, Unardi. So a bit of F1 experience, and he's going to be involved in the catering management side of things. So I say catering there to the catering. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> uh, they've also they've also started a young driver program. Interestingly. Uh, okay. Well, they've got a GP2 team. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, there's probably something in that. They got Nathaniel Bertrand to uh, be their first young driver initiate into Formula One. See where that goes. Well, absolutely, absolutely. Um, my favourite man in Formula One at the moment, um, Nicky Lauda, has had some interesting comments again this uh, this week in the wake of the uh, Grand Prix. He doesn't agree with us, I'm afraid. He says, uh, Kimi made a mistake, quite simply. He went, why? But why does he come in balls out and then crashes? Hopefully nothing happened, but it was unnecessary. Oh. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Grumpy Nicky this week, it would seem. Yeah. Um, but he also says, I don't understand Vettel and his screaming. He's going on like a smart, small, frightened child and should let it go. They are two of the top drivers, and this is top racing that the viewers want to see. Well, I'll agree with you there. Uh, I'm going to agree with that also. So, as we've mentioned when talking about the tyres, we've also had the, the test this week, and it seems like everybody's had bloody reliability problems quite all, much. All crashed heavily. Yeah, Hamilton was uh, broke down. Uh, I, I think, think Vettel has as well. Vettel broke down. I'm pretty sure Ferrari broke down as well. So, I mean, there you go. There's three of the biggest teams in the sport breaking down. It's funny how they all break down in the tests, but they're not breaking down during the races. Like, well, they all broke. It's so strange. Uh, uh, I'm assuming that's on the basis that the, when they do testing, they they push everything as hard as they can to find out how far they can. Yeah. Well, um, that, that seems to be the case. But the interesting note is from that is Kimi Räikkönen, obviously. Bruised ankle, bruised legs, can't, uh, will be fit for the next Grand Prix, but isn't taking part in the test. So my boy, Jules Bianchi, has stepped in and done a pretty good job by all accounts. A uh, top day two, certainly. I'm not sure if he, um, not sure on, every, uh, on the, the other day. Um, but yeah, 
He's he's not confident in getting a seat for next year, which is not unsurprising since Kimmy said he's likely yeah. to retire after next year when he'll have a chance. But and um, I think he will. I think he'll take that seat in twenty sixteen. I think that's a certainty. I think so. It has to be done. Uh, Guido van der Gard had a massive crash in the Sauber. Um, is the Sauber he's test driving for, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> Uh, and he did a Kimmy and broke the barrier, a red flag in the uh, session. Interestingly, um, he's all, I all seen okay. The crash, but I've seen the I read, I read it was one of the biggest crashes in modern history. <laughs> pretty much, like I heard, it was a pretty, a pretty bad one. It, I certainly, uh, I think Guido said it was certainly the biggest crash he's ever had. Um, and they had the old red G light on on the car, which meant he had to go to hospital. Um, well, that's like, yeah, that's over twenty-five Gs. So, I mean, that's a pretty hefty shunt. Did you see Kimmy topped out at 47 47G. G? 47G. Jesus. What the fuck, Ken? That's unbelievable. Yeah. Remember when Fernando went over the bump and, and, and he he did it? He'd gone over the bump at Abu Dhabi. Oh, yeah. He set it off, didn't he? He carried on. But, <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's Fernando for you. But, <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, good stuff to see Bianchi doing well. And uh, that's, that's going to fill me with optimism for the future, definitely. So, my my last news story, realistically, is I'm going to moan, and I'm really sorry, I'm going to moan. The FIA have come out to say that uh, they could, or they will possibly introduce a ban of the uh, Frick suspension system. Um, if you don't know what Frick is, do you know what Frick is? I do not, unfortunately. <laughs> Frick is front rear interconnected suspension. Okay. Uh, why they've split interconnected into two words for that, I think it's only because it would be free otherwise, <laughs> and that sounds really stupid. Like yeah, Frick it. sounds a bit easier to say, doesn't it? Rolls uh, off the tongue a bit nicer. It does. Um, the basic thing of Frick is that uh, the front and the rear suspension is connected. This gives you a more stable ride height, um, which is obviously better for the car. The FIA have, it would seem off the back of at least one team complaining about it, uh, decided that the whole system is uh, now, or has always been possibly, uh, illegal. They were thinking of banning it, but what they've done is, uh, and I don't know how they get away with doing this, put it to a vote of the Formula One teams. <laughs> and it has to be a unanimous vote. Okay. So if they can't all agree to allow it to go through, then they will ban it from the middle of this season. If the teams can all agree that the um, suspension will happen next year, then it will be next year and the cars will be able to continue to run uh, as they have been doing this year. Jesus fucking Christ. What is wrong with the FIA? We have a fucking beautiful season going on. We have cars dicing out on the field up and down the, the pit lane. Um interesting inter-team battles everything's going really well and yet they're happy to come along and fuck it all in the middle of the season uh, they could just destroy all the racing and just turn everything into a nonsense all for the sake of one team complaining they complained do you know we don't know but apparently force india are the only team on the grid that don't have any kind of frick suspension <laughs> okay. so the <laughs> So likely they are the complainers and also likely that um, 
they will not agree for the suspension to go through because they've got fuck all to lose. And all the other teams will have to redesign their suspension. Um, and they won't. And they that will obviously potentially give them some kind of advantage. And then this is where F1 gets bullshitty. I know there's politics and I know you try and take all advantage that you possibly can. But where are the people thinking about the good of the sport? Where are the people sat there who should have a job that means that the best sport is done for all the viewers uh, as well as the teams uh, and don't look at this kind of bullshit and just wave it through and go, oh, well, the team's complained, so we must do something about it. It's a sport. It only exists if the fans allow it to. Otherwise, you might as well just let people go on fucking track days and have nobody watch. Do you know what I mean? It, it makes no difference then. If, if you're not going to consider that what you do affects the enjoyment of the sport by the fans, then you're not up to the task of running a sport as far as I'm concerned. Yep, moan I, I moan over. <laughs> I'm very much a, a, a let the teams do what they want, obviously within reason kind of guy. I see no reason why this should be from, I don't know that much about it, but on the surface, I don't see any reason why this uh, this should be banned. So, yeah, I'm chalk me down as in your camp on that one. It's just the same as when they, they got rid of the blown suspension, uh, blown diffuser in the middle of the season. Shouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. You just go, okay, we've decided that this can't go on next season and forever yeah. forward. Done. And give everybody a chance to design a system that complies with the rules during the winter, and they're all on the even footing coming to the new season in Australia. Was, yeah, I completely agree with you from a from a mid-season point of view. Don't don't fuck about. It should be like the transfer window in football. You don't yes. fuck about. Like, you make the changes during the summer in the football. You make the changes during the winter in F1. And, yeah. And during the season, you've got the specifications, and and that's the specifications for that season, and that's it. You know. Yeah. Otherwise, you end up changing the rules that favours one yeah. team over another, and you can't do that. You have to be. How strange would it be if they changed this and suddenly forced India won every race till the end of the season? Like that would make that would be absolutely retarded. It'd make an absolute mockery of the sport. Yep. Yep, it would. It's. It... I'm with it, you. It, it would be like suddenly, like getting to the end of the season, finding that, you know, Man City are top of the league, uh, Man United are second. Man City have all away games and Man United have all home games and suddenly the FA come out and say, all home games count double. <laughs> We'd be just like, really? That's that's stupid. Do you know what I mean? You know, they could say that their reasoning for home games being double is because home fans need, you know, um, need to get behind their team and, and what have you. Or, um, But it, it would still favour one one team over the other and then make everything a mockery and it's just it's just so unnecessary and it just shows such a flagrant arrogance of the kind of people who were running the sport that just well, don't that's care nothing new. that's not new right? I mean from that point of view we shouldn't be surprised no <sighs> it's, it's like the double points thing and yep it's another, it's another it's, there seems to be a lot of these cropping up these days it's fixing problems that aren't there answering questions that no one was asking okay maybe one team was asking but you know one how does one team get to dictate the future policy of the sport 
surely that surely if it should be if, if the majority of the teams are in favour of using it, that's the way it goes, not the reverse. That just seems like common sense to me. Am I missing something there? I don't think you are. <laughs> I think the FI are miss, missing something between their ears, Indeed. but uh, yes. there you go. Well, we'll keep an eye on that one and see what, what comes. See through. what happens. Uh, in good news, uh, Formula E had a little outing on London, uh, the streets of London the other week, which looked very cool. And yeah, the, um, we can sorry, confirm yeah. that the cars can do donuts, which, as far Yay. as I'm concerned, is the only thing a car needs to be able to do to say it's a racing car, really. Well, it's funny because Karen Chandok was in the GP2 commentary box, and he was talking about it just very briefly, saying that he had a great time driving them and stuff like that. So that's great. I can't wait. I've said before in the show that it's going to be just interesting to watch and just to see how it does. So I'm, I'm still, still, still excited. There's a few more drivers been uh, announced as well. Won't go through them all on this show, maybe save it for the next one. But two female drivers have been announced already for, for next season, so or this season coming, I should say, um, which I think is really good news. Uh, and it's the kind of thing that we need to see, is to see two female drivers in a new formula showing everybody to just say, look, there's no, there can't be any preconceptions about these cars. So let's see, let's see what two female drivers I, can do. I didn't really mention Susie Wolf on... I'm oh sure no, we didn't. In the, in the well, of the weekend. We'll mention her now. Technically, wasn't very much to talk about. Yeah, she's she's obviously given her given it a bash in practice. Car broke down. That is what it is. She was quite philosophical about it. She uh, she understands that that happens. Uh, happens to the best drivers in the world, the world champions. So that's what it is. But um, she's going to get another bash in Hockenheim mm-hmm. next week. So I really want to see what she can do given you know a sustained opportunity as opposed to just one lap so can't wait really excited to see what she's got do you so want she can compete with, with Valtteri and Massa in the same car so. do you want to know the thing that I took away from Susie Wolf getting her F1W which is what she has the most fucked up accent I've ever she heard she does have a fucking weird accent she's, she's Scottish half German half Scottish that, but she's married to Toto obviously so She's called Susie Stoddart. I didn't know that until fairly recently, and I had to look up to see if she was related to Paul. <laughs> They're not related. Oh, really? Yeah. Susie Stoddart uh, is her maiden name. But yeah, um, yeah, just disappointed that she couldn't get a, a proper run, but we'll see what she's got in Hockenheim. Yeah, yeah, it would be, it would be nice to see somebody do well, um, to see her do well, and just shut up people, really, and just... Just go, you can be a woman and do Formula 1, at least to some degree, even if she's if, not getting races if, and you, stuff. If, you're, if you're good enough, if you're fast enough, you're good enough. Simple as that, really. It's the same with age. Put an 18-year-old in the car as long as they're quick, you know? Like, if, you're, if you're quick enough, you'll get a, you'll get your chance. You, or at least nowadays, you'll get your chance. I think that's the way, I think that's, that's what's the direction that F1's going in, which is obviously good. So. Absolutely. So I think that kind of takes us nicely towards the end of the show. Uh, and something I've wanted to do for a while, but we've not really had the uh, the chance to do, was just give out some shout-outs to people who we've been interacting with um, across all of our social media uh, platforms. Uh, Twitter was especially busy the, at the British Grand Prix, as you might expect with us being essentially a, a British-based uh, podcast and it, it being essentially our home race. Um, I've got to give a big shout-out, first off, of full first off of all to at Tabitha Teddy 
who's fast becoming one of my favourite uh, Twitter type people. Um, she is a 12 inch tall uh, bear who uh, essentially really has a it, it is a sort of a, a bookish bibliophile, um, but has turned up at, at quite a few motor racing events. Uh, she was at, at Goodwood with um, at Papa Smurf taking a few pictures and uh, I'm not sure if she made it to Silverstone but uh, we're certainly watching all along and uh, gave us a couple of little retweets here and there so we said that we'd um, give her a shout out so uh, if you're if you're out there and you you like an interesting uh, Twitter follower then yeah absolutely follow at Tabitha Teddy um, you won't be disappointed shout out to uh, at F1 official fans uh, who uh, gave us a couple of retweets during the race um big thank you to at good podcasts uh, who i'd highly recommend as following if you're uh, into listening to podcasts in general um they're generally pretty much spot on with all of their recommendations and we've been lucky enough to appear in a couple of their newsletters and get a few retweets of our episodes uh, to all of their followers so i'd highly suggest that you follow them as well and we did it folks we broke <laughs> the inner sanctum of formula one uh we, we got a reply from the official Lotus F1 team Twitter account. Uh, thank you very much. Um, the uh, Lotus F1 team had uh, tweeted how disappointed they were that they hadn't managed to colour match the Armco barriers. Um, so I cheekily sent them a little reply saying, could have been worse, could have been a space saver. Um, to which they replied, should have used the replacement foam, which I thought was very good. Uh, and actually the Lotus F1 team, uh, got to give them a a shout out for this have genuinely the most entertaining twitter account to follow during a race um very funny guys don't take themselves uh, too seriously whilst giving you a, obviously an updates of everything that's going on with lotus during the race uh, very very happy with that um and also a big thanks to everybody else who either favorited or retweeted any of our tweets uh, during the british grand prix too many of you to thank um but we thank you nonetheless Absolutely, definitely. So, since it's the end of the show, it's time to remind you about how you can get in contact with us. We are hosted at modernfanatical.co.uk, so every single episode goes up there. You can leave comments on the episodes, you can send us questions, uh, our contact details are on there. It's the place to go for everything to do with the podcast. Um, if you, uh, you can RSS feed the feeds from there, so you can get an automatic update when the website is updated. We also post every single uh, episode update, plus a few bits and pieces that we find interesting to our Facebook uh, group. So that's facebook.com forward slash the final lap podcast. You can catch us on Twitter, as I've just mentioned, and that's at final lap podcast. Make sure you uh, follow along and we uh, try to retweet as many interesting stories that we see flying about during the week in Formula One, as well as give you an informed and hopefully an amusing rundown of uh, all the latest happenings in Formula One and everything happening on race day. Do you want to say both of our... Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> and you can, of course, follow us on our personal Twitter accounts if that kind of thing uh, interests you. We're uh, chatting away on there about Formula One and uh, just general news of the day. So you can follow me at Fog on the Fourth. And you can follow me at Man Called Megs. And please do. We'll uh, we'll follow you back and all that, and uh, and have a have a chin wag. <laughs> so 
Thank you very much for listening, guys. It's always a pleasure of ours to have you along listening. And we'll be back. Um, oh, my God. No, wait. Stop, stop, stop the presses. Next week is Hocken... Uh, sorry, two weeks to Hockenheim. What does Hockenheim look like? Um, I've got well, a couple. they changed it. I've got a couple this week. For once. Uh, it, it looks like a high heel. It does. High heel boot. This is true. With a sort of toe bit, doesn't it? It's specially yeah. ergonomically designed to support the back of your toes. <laughs> or it could be... Uh, I wish I could twist my monitor upside down. <laughs> oh, if you, if you flip it upside down, it looks like a watering can. Yes. Oh, that's a good spot. So you've Very got a spot. handle and then a spout. Yeah. Oh, I like that one. Or a kettle, maybe like a teapot or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what you got? What you got? I've got. Uh, I think it looks like the chassis of a car that has a very uh, long aerodynamic front nose. Right. So you can okay. see the sort of wheel arches are along the bottom, and mm -hmm. then it all goes out to the right as the as the nose with a big big wide window at the top. Ah yes, I see it. I see it more now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the other one, I think it kind of looks like an elephant. Ah yeah, yeah, I can the see that. Ear at the back and the big tusk at the front. I think, I think there's potential on this one for a few more possibly. It's got a good bottle. <laughs> it's got a good bottle opener. <laughs> of course. Uh, always a sign of a good track, really. Uh, Silverstone has about four, so that's, <laughs> that's why it's so good. It's like a Swiss Army knife. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not Roman Grosjeans. <laughs> well, he's not Swiss. <laughs> <laughs> no, or French, or anything. Apparently, <laughs> the man is so neutral he doesn't even have a place of birth. Ah oh dear. So yeah, quickly before we go then, Hockenheim, what are you thinking? Um, Mercedes 1-2. Mercedes 1-2, I'm going to back Nico for this after Hamilton picking up the British GP, I think. Rosie, Nicky, Nicky Ros, as I've now decided that he's always going to be renamed. Uh, Nicky Ros for the win in his own home country, possibly. Nicky Ros for the win, uh, indeed, I, I agree. So, let's, let's hope so. Excellent. Best of, the, best of the rest, got to be a Williams, you would think. Uh, I'm, I'm predicting a Williams, actually, I think, for, for, for third one. place. Got to be one of them, I think. Absolutely. Cool. So having managed to squeeze that in at the end, that really is the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening, guys. We will be back in uh, nine days' time, or after nine days' time, once the German Grand Prix has been run, to uh, bring it all down and then look ahead to the next race. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you then. Cheers, bye. Good. Good. Do you want to start? Uh, choose what, something. What story are we going to open? Then? I don't know anything. You just choose one. Right, uh, I wasn't. I wasn't expecting to be put on the spot here. The difference to be thrust into the limelight. <laughs> What do you think's the best? Will we start with the test? Um, the new tires or yeah, I think the 18-inch wheels will be a good one. Might be. It's a good fun one to talk about.
So I just roll with it then. Yep. So 